Well, let's turn there to 1 Thessalonians 3, and I'm reading verses 1 to 5. Hear the word of God. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, excuse me, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. The grass indeed withers, the flower fades, but God's word, holy and errant, endures forever. May he bless it. The title of this message is Concern for the Church, and we're reading of Paul's great concern for the church. But he writes this to help the church as well learn to care and have concern for one another. And if you think that that should be something just axiomatic to the Christian life, I want to encourage you from Scripture, and yes, encourage you from Scripture, that it isn't always the case. We stumble and fumble in many opportunities to exercise that care and concern for one another, even for those who are in the depths of trouble, suffering, trial and tribulation. And scripture even shows how we can fumble in those ways. The life of Job. Many of you know all that Job went through as a a servant of the Lord, as a blameless and upright man, hailed by God before our greatest of enemies, Satan. And, And there God allowed Satan to have at it with Job and We know all that he endured at the hands of the evil one. But as you read on through Job, his three of his friends, three, as I would say, probably his closest friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, they came along to comfort him in all of his sorrows. And for about a week of silence, that may have been the best comfort that Job received from them when they just sat there and said nothing. Because as soon as they opened their mouths, very little comfort came and met him from them. In fact, as you read along in Job 16, at one point, Job just looks at them and says, what a lot of miserable comforters you all are. Uh, You know, uh, sometimes when we intend the best with our words, we sometimes add to the struggles that people are under. And Job said in Job 16, miserable comforters are you all. If you basically, if you were in my place, I would not be shaking my head at you. Quote, I would be strengthening you with my mouth and with the comfort of my lips I would relieve your grief. And and that is something of a lesson for all of us to grasp as believers. 
We sometimes think we know and, and can convey to a fellow believer who is suffering exactly why God is allowing it to happen. And we're going to tell them. And, and that's more or less what Job's three friends did. But they got it so seriously and severely wrong. And, and bringing it to our text, we see here very much that Paul is concerned for the church at Thessalonica. He understands they're going under uh, some serious and severe trials and tribulations. And, and he suspects, and of course as an apostle, uh, one who is able to convey the very word of God, he may have had more things revealed to him concerning their sufferings, so that he probably could say, I know what's behind this better than we can. But he's expressing concern for this church and expressing it in a way for us as fellow believers united together as a congregation of the Lord. How we may grow in our care and concern for one another, but also how we may have an understanding of the care that Christ gives to us. And and that's ultimately where this is is leading us. How does Christ care for us in our struggles? Sometimes we all miss it when it comes to having a theology concerning affliction. We all undergo it. But we don't necessarily have a very good doctrine that uh, helps us to walk through our sufferings, our afflictions, our tribulations, whatever they may be. And, and Paul brings some of that out here for us. He suspects that this church is struggling in their faith. And, and it's not hard to believe that they were. It's a very new church. And, and they haven't had but two weeks of faithful pastoring and ministering from Paul and Silas and Timothy before those three are pushed out of the city and have to flee for their lives. And he knows that those afflictions have continued on. And he fears that those afflictions may be getting the better of them. Even here he understands how Satan has his hands in these afflictions, how the tempter is at work to tempt them. And perhaps some of the greatest temptations Satan uses during our afflictions, which work for Job, is where we're brought to that point where we think God doesn't care about us. Where is that loving concern that God expressed that he would have with us? Where is that very presence of God helping and leading us through these circumstances? And whenever, dear Christians, whenever those thoughts begin to enter your mind, know now in the time where you are relatively safe from sufferings, know it now, that's Satan whispering, challenging in your thoughts the word of God. Something to beware of. Twice here in this, in this brief passage that we're looking at, verse 1 and verse 5, twice Paul expresses this thing, we could no longer endure it. We could no longer just sit here and wait. What is happening 
to this little new church that has just sprung up. Have you ever had those kind of feelings for someone that you know is going through a terrible circumstance? We, we felt it this past week when our son left his home and had to flee because of those fires. And we went three days and we're, okay, we haven't heard anything yet. Let's find out what's going on. Do we have that kind of emotion building up that is part of that expression of care and concern for the church, care and concern for one another? We should have those emotions, but we also should act on them. And, and that's what Paul does here. He doesn't just sit there and say, well, I'm wondering. Well, I'll, I'll wait till the next time that I see them to find out what's going on. Act on them. There's something where to understand that, that uh, if you're feeling those uh, emotions and you can no longer endure what's happening, act on that holy concern. Act on it. Call. Uh, present yourself as available. Pray. Let them know you're praying. And what Paul does here is he sends Timothy to help. And, and he sends Timothy knowing, as he says in verses 1 and 2, knowing what a sacrifice it is for us as those going out and serving the kingdom and serving the gospel. It's the same thing again, acting on our cares and concerns. Yes, it's a sacrifice of time, a sacrifice of comfort. I don't know how many times as a pastor... I have heard people say that when someone's in the hospital, I said, did you go visit them? And their most common response that I get from people is, no, I don't do well in hospitals. They really make me uncomfortable. I wouldn't know what to say. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's pretty uncomfortable for the person that's in hospital too. But we, I, I only say that because that's the real struggle we have, isn't it? in expressing that care and concern for one another in the midst of trials and tribulation. And here, here Paul is, as he is showing his care, he's wanting the, the church as well to take up this banner, setting an example, an example of which he is following himself from the Lord Jesus Paul is showing concern just as Christ showed concern. And, and the Lord is able to use these actions of his people for a greater witness to the world of his own grace and mercy. Think back to John 13. And you know how John 13 begins with Jesus knowing that his hour had come and knowing that uh, the, the tempter had entered into Judas and knowing that the Lord was, uh, that his father had, had set everything in motion for him to end that week in the grave. And, and saying that, knowing that all of this was before him, what's the next line that ends that opening verse? He loved his disciples. And he loved them to the end. And, and when it says, well, how did he love his disciples? Well, it unfolds from chapter 13 all the way up to chapter 17. And how he ministered to them and how he 
tried to equip them for the trial that they were going to experience, how he uh, attempted to convey to them in the depth of their anxiety who would be their keeper and how he prayed for them. And you see all of that unfolding. And in the midst of that, Jesus tells his disciples a couple times, as I am doing, you do to one another. Demonstrate my love in your actions for each other. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, not as you would love yourselves, but even more, love one another as I have loved you. And what did he say about that? And this would be one of the, I'll, I'll add a little word there, one of the strongest witnesses to the world that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And, and Paul is setting that standard for us. And he's setting that standard for us here in, in three areas of concern. The concern that we are to have when people are struggling. And the first is for their faith. And, and I would say that in verses 1 to 2, he mentions that. He says there that we're here to help establish and encourage you, the end of verse 2, concerning your faith. And verse 5, I sent to know your faith. I know you're struggling. And I don't believe it was that they were struggling simply because they were young believers in the faith. Young believers in the faith do need a lot of help and encouragement. But this is simply more broad than that. It's believers who are struggling and need care. Their faith is being shaken. I don't know how many of you Take note of who is and who isn't present each week. But have you ever gone home and thought, I haven't seen so-and-so for a while. And when you haven't seen someone worshiping, and worshiping in the church, my friends, something's wrong. And what do we do with those thoughts? Where does that struggle begin what is being noted visibly with our eyes is often representative of something in respect, first and foremost, to their faith and life in the Lord. Believers struggle with trials, tribulations, sufferings, and afflictions. And in those struggles, they need much care. And Christ has appointed us all to be instruments of grace to one another. To focus not just on the issue they're going through, but to focus on their faith. Paul sent Timothy because he knew this was a struggle. And he sent Timothy to help strengthen their faith. That word, establish, that you see at the end of verse 2. To establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. That word establish really means to strengthen. It's a word that talks about how you would come to build a bigger base and foundation of support for something that is 
being built on top of that. How many of you children have ever tried to build a house of cards? You take a deck of cards and you start building houses with them. And you know, if if you've never done it, I'll give you a hint. What you have to do is you have to build a bigger base at the bottom before you just simply go up. Because what will happen is it'll collapse after two or three layers because it can't support itself. In the times of Paul, what he's talking about here is how added beams and added base foundational material was added to build a structure that was going up high. That's what that word means. To strengthen it so that it won't fall. And and that's what we're called to do for one another in our faith with one another. And this is more than just sitting with someone. It, it, It is ministering God's word. It is praying for them. But even more, whether they realize it or not, what is the greatest thing that they need for their faith to be strengthened? They need to be pointed to the object of their faith. Not the object of their suffering. (laughs) That's hard. We can so focus on our suffering that we forget the object of our faith. We forget his promises. And Paul sent Timothy to first of all strengthen them in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where does that begin? Well, I'll I'll show you. Just turn back with me to Romans 5. And and very quickly, skipping through these first five verses of Romans 5. You all, I'm sure, know, and most of you would probably have verse 1 memorized. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's where your faith begins. In that justifying work of Jesus Christ. I know in the midst of my sufferings. God I know. I am at peace with you. Because Christ has borne away. The penalty of all my sins. Praise God. That's where I will begin my thoughts. But you notice there he goes on. Verse 2. Through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, and here's where it ties into afflictions, tribulations. Not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Spirit whom he has given us. Do you see what Paul did there in in taking what we know to be true of Christ and our peace that we have with him? He brings it right into the issues of tribulations. That the tribulations aren't there to destroy your faith in Christ, but to make it more sure because you have a hope A hope that goes beyond whatever suffering and trial that you are going through. And not only that, 
in the midst of your trials, you who have been justified by Jesus Christ, Christ has given you full access into the abounding grace and loving kindness of God. Let me pray with you so that you understand how you can pray to God and say, Lord, be my helper true in the midst of this trial that I do not get overwhelmed where I start disbelieving you. You know how many people need to be prayed with in that manner. That's care and concern for their faith. Where you can come to a point when tribulations come and you can boast. That's what it means to glory in tribulation. I can boast about this. Thank God that Christ is with me. It's not this, you know, look how good I am. I suffer well. (laughs) No, none of us suffer well. It's the kind of boast that says, thank you, God. I have not been abandoned. How many of us need that? And comfort. Comfort. That that second word there in in verse 2. To establish and encourage you. That word encourage is actually the word that we get a, a, a name and a title for the Holy Spirit. The comforter. It's the same word. One who comes and comforts us, encourages, is a good translation. But I I want you to see the depth of it. And here too, do you know again how faith needs to be comforted? The, The disciples' faith in the Lord needed to be comforted. What happened when Jesus said to them, you know what, all of you, it's not just one of you is going to betray me. All of you are going to forsake me. John 13, the end of John 13. Every one of you are going to abandon me. Your faith in me is going to become so weak, so small, that you will all leave me. And what's the very next line? John 14, 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. (laughs) I always find that funny because... The Lord is saying, this is what you're going to do. But he knew anxiety was building up in them. How many of you become anxious in your sufferings? It's easy. Where's the end of this? The forest fires are raging through Nova Scotia still. And something like 300 and plus homes and structures and cottages have been burned to the ground and there's still more to come. That kind of suffering, doesn't that bring some anxiety? When you have to flee your house with barely a carload of possessions. And my wife was reading to me a story, an account, where they're saying that some of these people, it's going to take three to four years for their homes to be rebuilt because they don't have enough tradesmen to replace what's already been destroyed. I'd be anxious. I'd be wondering what's going on. Health. All of these kind of sufferings. They bring anxiety. What does the Lord say? Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. It's a faith issue. Do you know how many of us again need that help of one another to have our faith pointed back to Christ. I trust you, Lord. I don't know the end of this, but I trust you. You wonder how Job would have fared 
if his three miserable comforters have, would have said, look, Job, whatever the end of this is, let's trust in the Lord. Let's pray and seek God that he may be your strength in the midst of this grievous child so that you do not lose hope. What a difference that would have been. And again, the comforting that such a one needs for their faith. You can find it in, in Philippians 4. I think they're well-known verses. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer with thanksgiving, that your requests be made known to God and the God of peace. And the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And that's what we need. And, and even there, as a help concerning their faith, to come in comfort, you come and you say to them, let's give thanks to God for the things that nothing in this earth and no one uh, that comes and meets us can take away. Let's give thanks to God for the forgiveness that we have of sins, for the healing he's brought to our lives, especially our souls, for that redemption that is ours, full and free, that we didn't labor for, for the crown of kindness and love and mercy that God has for us, that our souls would be satisfied with our Savior. I just quoted to you Psalm 103. Begin there. It's fixing your mind on Christ, where our faith is to be. Even as Paul would say in Colossians 3, verse 1, set your mind on Christ Jesus, where he is in heaven above. Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Friends, this is bringing Christ into the struggles of faith that he should be the object of their hope and trust when they need it. Does that speak of you? Do you have Christ to look to in your own heart and life? Is he your hope? And the second thing that Paul deals with is those matters concerning their afflictions in verses 3 and 4. And here again, uh, Paul is, is setting forth what, uh, what I term as a theology of affliction. Do you embrace such a doctrine concerning your trials and tribulations? Suffering. <coughs> tribulation. Persecution, being in need, facing perils, having evils come against you, and the very basic miseries of life. We are not spared from those things. It's a reality of sin. People often say or ask that question that is hard for many Christians to answer. And that is, why does a good and holy and loving and almighty God allow evil to exist? And if God is so good, then why is my life so full of trouble? 
Because their thought is, if I was God, I'd just get rid of it all. Well, God has a plan to get rid of it all. But it means the death of many in their sins. And until that time occurs, we're here to bring bring forth the gospel to show and point people to the one who can deliver them from the power and penalty and presence of sin. But my friends, God is not the one responsible, if I can put it this way. He's not the one responsible for sin. We are. Satan is. And evil and the miseries of sin are are going to impact us. But for the believer, and especially for the believer, we have a theology that guards us. And what's the first point of theology that ought to occupy your minds when suffering and tribulation meet you? Look at the end of verse 3. For you yourselves know that you were appointed to this. That's where your theology begins. God has ordained this suffering for me. And why is that so important to begin there? Because we who are in Christ, we who are the apple of the Father's eye, know that whatever God appoints for me is for my good. That's where you begin. You begin anywhere else and you will fall into this well of self-pity and with that self-aggrandizement. I should not suffer like this. When you understand God has appointed and ordained these And Paul says so much about this in Acts 14, 22. What does he say of every single one of us who are in Christ? We must through many tribulations, not a few. We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of heaven. Not a few, many. But here's the comfort and consolation we we have is that God knows the path of those afflictions. God has appointed each one. Read this afternoon Isaiah 40. And particularly when you get closer to the end, most of you know Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall rise up as with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not, not faint. We know that verse. Do you know the verses that come before that? That's the conclusion of what comes before that. Before that, God is saying, Why, Israel, are you saying to me, My way is hidden from God? God doesn't know the struggles we're having here. God seems to have forgotten that we're His people. Really? Your way is not hidden from me. I am the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator. I do not faint. I never grow weary. And we could add with that, with all your complaining and bitterness against me. (laughs) He does not weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So wait upon the Lord. 
in the midst of your sufferings and trials. God has appointed them. Lord, what is your end of these things? If it is that your power and the glory and grace of Christ may shine through, let me suffer to your glory. Because everything in the hands of God are sanctifying instruments, helping me to learn to put to death sin. Perhaps one of the greatest sins that needs to be put to death concerning every single suffering you endure is that sin of pride that says, I shouldn't suffer. Especially when you know that the Lord suffered for you. God is at work to bring more of that holy, godly life and image of Christ in you. So again here, concerning their afflictions, it's focus on Christ. Look what he says there at the beginning of verse 3. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions. Know that they are appointed by God. We suffer tribulation. We told you it would happen, verse 4. And it has happened. You know. He doesn't want your faith in the Lord to be shaken. And again, it takes fixing our eyes on the gospel. Again, turn very quickly just to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, chapter 4. And here I'm borrowing on something that I learned this past week at Banner from one of the speakers. But think about this, so that your faith isn't shaken when you endure afflictions. Look what Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of God may, may be of God and not of us. And then verses 8 and and down to verse 10. We're hard pressed on every side. Not crushed. We're perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus may be manifested or revealed in our body. What's he saying there? Here are the problems with affliction that we're going to endure. We're going to be hard-pressed, perplexed, wondering what in the world, how is God going to bring good to me out of this? Persecuted. God, I love you. Your message is one of salvation. Why do people hate me and hate you? Struck down. And again, it comes back to this point. We are yet, even as believers, liable to all those miseries of sin. Ready yourself for it. What does he say there? Where is your faith and understanding? He says there, we're not crushed. We're not in despair. Oh, that that would be true. We're not forsaken. We're not destroyed. Isn't that amazing that we are still alive and living and walking with Christ? Isn't it amazing that we haven't been forsaken by God? And why is it that we can lay hold of those things by faith? It's because we have a treasure 
within us. We have the glory of Jesus abiding within our hearts. Do you know what that means, friends? Do you know why you're not crushed? It's because Jesus was crushed in your place. Do you know why you don't have to despair? It's because Jesus endured that, both in the garden and on the cross. Do you know why you're not forsaken? Because Jesus was forsaken in your place. Do you know why you're not destroyed? Because Jesus carried all the consequences of sin that were against you to the grave. He was destroyed in your place. You see, there's the treasure we have. What a glorious thing to lay hold of when we are suffering without understanding the end. I won't be destroyed. I won't be forsaken. I have nothing to despair of because the life of Christ is in me. And I live. Jesus conquered all of that. He arose from the grave. He ascended to the throne of grace to ensure that none of his people, none of you who have faith in him, none of you will ever experience the depths and despair of sin. He will be with you. You see, the care we need to give to those who so suffer. Our time is gone. But I just want to draw your attention to the last point there, and that is care for their concern for their perseverance and the realization of the enemy that is ready to bring forth despair in one another's lives, to cause you to despair of God's goodness and mercies that he has for you. Dear friends, there again, pointing them to the victor, pointing them to Jesus so that their faith will be unshaken. Their hope and their joy in the Lord would not make the gospel vain or empty in their lives so that Christ would be to them a fountain of grace. There's the care and concern that we are to have from one another. So the next time you hear of burdens and trials and tribulations within the company of our fellowship and things that might be of great care and concern for other people, let them hear from you. Let them know you're praying for them. Be a warm and gentle comforter in your concern for their faith, their faith and afflictions that they are experiencing. Point them to Christ. And most of all, have this ready in your own heart for when this comes and meets you. Christ is our strength.